Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. So we're concluding the series that began several weeks ago called The Blessed Lifestyle. And it's supposed to be exactly that, a lifestyle. It's not a program. It's not a gimmick. It's not some sort of, you know, quick and easy way to, you know, share your faith. It is a lifestyle that we want to integrate into our very existence every single day. And so we've been looking at the B-L-E-S-S, and it's an acrostic, and we're going to look at it one more time. And these letters, I'll throw it up on the screen, they stand for the B, begin with prayer. The L, listen with care. The E, eat together. The S, serve in love. And the last S is share your story. You see Jesus doing this. You see him beginning every day with prayer. You see him, uh, you know, listening to others before he shared. You see him eating together, even with tax collectors and even with sinners and becoming friends of sinners. You see him. He never, ever, ever, ever turned away anyone with need. He served in love. And, of course, he always shared the story. And so that's where we're going to land today. But I want to take a moment. I want to give you a little bit of a recap as to how this relates to you. Because you may not be able to remember B-L-E-S-S on an everyday basis. And so if you don't remember anything else, at least remember to begin with prayer. And at the very, very least, the most important thing we can do is we all have people in our lives that do not know Christ and are estranged from God. And we can pray for these people and God will move. And then when we talked about a couple of weeks ago about eating together with people, I had people object and they said, you know, Pastor Mark, I'm not going to, I'm not going to invite strangers over to my house for a meal. Well, let me remind you of something. Jesus never invited anybody over to his house for a meal. He didn't have a house and he was single. I doubt he could cook. Right? I mean, look at, think about it. He was always looking for a free, free meal, right? He was always looking. And, and not only that, he had 12 friends in tow. I mean, when Jesus came over for dinner, you better have a lot of food ready. And so, you know, there's different ways. I always remind people of this. Look, you eat with people every day. If you're in the workplace, you have a lunchroom somewhere. You're eating with some people. And there's probably people there that don't know Christ. This is your opportunity. Or you have family events. Do you know when the extended family gets together and you're sitting around with people you don't really even like? but you have to love them because you're related to them. You're eating together with them. We all get invited to various events where you sit at a table and you think, oh, I'm sitting with people I don't know. Wow, what an opportunity. Let's not forget that. And then you start to listen. You have to listen before you talk. Find out what makes these people tick. And of course, that's what we talked about a couple of weeks as well. And then, of course, wherever you have opportunity... There are so many needs in this world, and we can just simply serve their needs. So today we're going to talk about sharing your story. And this is the real, really the end point. And you know what? We haven't really been really great. I mean, let's just be honest. The evangelical church in the last generation has not been great at sharing the story of the gospel. And we have become at times confrontational with it. And we've ended up with a bit of a bad reputation. Have you noticed that? Kind of a bad reputation. Maybe we need a new approach or, as I'm saying, an old approach. And maybe that unflattering reputation the evangelicals have, maybe they earned it. So I have a story to tell you about that. So... 
there's this farmer, he has a knock at the door one stormy night, and there's three men standing there, a Hindu priest, a Jewish rabbi, and an evangelical pastor. And they said, well, their car went into the ditch and they needed a place to stay for the night. He says, I only have two beds in the house. The third of you is going to have to sleep in the barn. So the Hindu priest said, no problem, I'll sleep in the barn. So he goes off to the barn. Two minutes later, there's a knock on the door. Guess who's standing at the door? But the Hindu priest, he says, I can't sleep in the barn. There's a cow in the barn. Cows are sacred. I can't sleep with a cow. So the Jewish rabbi says, no problem. I'll I'll go to the barn. So he goes to the barn. Two minutes later, there's a knock on the door. Who says, at the door? The Jewish rabbi. He says, I can't sleep in the barn. There's a pig in the barn. And the pigs are unclean. I can't sleep with a pig. So the evangelical pastor says, don't worry. I'll go sleep in the barn. I don't have a problem with either of them. So off he goes to the barn. Two minutes later, there's a knock on the door. Guess who was at the door? Yeah, the pig and the cow. Yeah, yeah. You got it. So I want to lay a little groundwork for something. When Jesus called the disciples, you all remember this, they were on the beach, they were cleaning their nets, and he comes in, he calls them to follow him, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And one of the things I tell our leaders is that following means fishing. And that's true for every single Christian, not just Christian leaders, not just pastors. And we're not to be waiting for the evangelists to show up. Guess what? Billy Graham is dead. And the, the responsibility is upon every one of us to be in the fishing business of bringing people to Christ. And there's a couple of things I want to say about that because, you know, the thing about fishing is this. I think it's a great metaphor. And, and I understand they were fishermen, so they got it. But it's still a great metaphor, primarily because fish don't actually want to be caught. <laughs> you know that's true, right? They don't actually like getting caught. That's why they, you know, like they fight. And that's why when you're trying to reel them in, they're like fighting and trying to get off that line because they don't really want to be caught. And then here's the other part of this. When you do actually catch the fish, you know what the problem with the fish is? They're slimy and stinky and need to be cleaned. And nobody likes that part. I'm talking about fish here. I'm not talking about Christians at the moment. But it is absolutely true. And there's something sort of gross about fishing, you know. That's the hard part. The easy part is catching the fish. The hard part is what do you do with those fish? It takes time to clean them and scale them and fillet them and do all that stuff. So Kathy and I do fishing. I fished my whole life since I was just a kid. I've fished for over five decades. I should be better at it, but I'm not. Uh, And I'll tell you why in a moment. And so when we got married, I wanted to teach Kathy how to fish. And so she'll, she'll go fishing with me, which I'm very grateful. But here's two things she won't do. She will not touch the bait and she will not touch the fish. And so this is how Kathy fishes. She swings her rod over for me to bait it, and she swings it back, and she drops it down into the lake. And if she catches something, she brings it up, swings it over for me to deal with, take the fish off, put it in the live well, rebait, swings it, puts it down, pulls out another one, swings back like this. So that's how Kathy fishes, never touching the bait and never touching the fish. And then we'll go back, and then she'll say to our kids, They'll, they'll say, oh, so how'd it go? Kathy said, I caught more fish than your dad. And I said, of course she caught more fish than me. I'm her bait boy. I'm busy dealing with the fish. Kathy's thing is that she doesn't touch the fish until they're beautiful fillets ready to go into the frying pan. And then she touches them. And so I hope, I hope you're not missing the, the connection here is that when we're fishing for souls, the, the fishing is one thing, but the whole catching and keeping and cleaning and dealing with it, that's actually the hard part. That's called discipleship. 
But when it comes to the fishing, there's two important things. I call them the bait and the weight. And you kind of need both of those things. You have to use bait to catch them, but you also need this thing called patience. Remember I said I wasn't a very good fisherman, even though I've been doing it for decades? And the reason is I'm not patient enough. When I go fishing, I want to go for half an hour. And you know what? It doesn't really always work like that. I have friends, when they go fishing, they go for four hours, six hours, eight hours. I know people who go for 10 hours. There's an old expression, you all know it. If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you get rid of him for the whole weekend, right? <laughs> and so, so there's the weight, which I'm not good at. If I don't catch fish in the first 15 minutes, I'm ready to turn the boat around and go back. But there's the other piece of it that I'm also not good at, and it's called the bait. You have to use the right bait. And I just have this, two, this, this tackle box with a few rubber worms in it and things like this. And I know, I know this, I know it, that if you're going to fish for walleye, which we do, then you need to use, for the most part, nine times out of ten, live bait's going to do better than anything else. It's just the way it is. And Kathy always says, why, why aren't we using live bait? And I tell her, oh, these, these rubber worms, they work just as good. Of course, I'm lying. I'm a terrible fisherman. She shouldn't be listening to me. 50 years of fishing, never caught a master angler. And the thing is, I don't want to buy bait. First of all, I have to pay for it. Then I have to try to keep it alive. And I'm only going for half an hour. What I'm going to do with a big bucket of window minnows? No, no, the rubber worms will work just as well. And so I think we sometimes do that with our faith. We want some clever program or some gimmick or something. And what we need is live bait. And here's the trick question for you. For us, in our fishing for souls, what is the live bait? Anybody know? The answer is Jesus. And that came from someone who was in first service this morning. And so, so way to go, because he got it wrong first service. <laughs> Jesus is the bait. Jesus is the thing that people want. That's the thing we have to use. And sometimes we get so caught up. I think of the success of the early church. They had nothing. They had no buildings. They had no money. They had no institutions. They had no online influencers. They had nothing. All they had was a personal relationship with Jesus. And that was all they really needed because it's the most powerful bait in the world. So we're going to talk about sharing your story, the final S in the B-L-E-S-S. And you know, here's what people think. They think, I need to learn a bunch of clever arguments and a bunch of theology and let me explain to you why you don't. And all you need to know is your story. So I'm going to ask you a skill testing question. When you look at the last 2,000 years, who is the greatest theologian, New Testament theologian in the last 2,000 years? Anybody know? Would it be Augustine? Would it be Thomas Aquinas? Would it be John Calvin or John Wesley or any number of the others? I'll tell you who it is. It was Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle was the, Paul was Apostle was the guy who wrote all the theology. He wrote the New Testament. He wrote these incredible books that men and women have been studying for 2,000 years and trying to figure out. So Paul knew it all. Would you agree with that? And yet, what we discover is that when he's sharing the message of the gospel, guess what he does? He tells his story. And we all know the story of, of Paul in the road to Damascus. Saul of Tarsus converted and becoming Paul the apostle. We all know that story. If you're a Christian for any length of time, you know that particular story. And if you read through the book of Acts, you discover that Paul tells that story every opportunity he has. Again and again and again. So we're going to be looking at a passage in Acts chapter 26. And let me give you the backstory on it because it's kind of interesting. 
So Paul's been preaching for a number of years. He ends up in Jerusalem. He's preaching about the resurrection of Christ, which the Jews did not like. So he gets arrested. They want him tried. They ship him off. They ship him out of, of Jerusalem, and they ship him to Caesarea. And Caesarea was where the governor was, and the governor's name was Festus in those days. And Festus, he came before Festus, and Festus says, look, I'll let you go if you give me some money. He, he wanted a bribe. Paul wouldn't do it, so he throws him into jail. Paul spends two years in jail in Caesarea. So long that the governor changes within that two years. Governments change. We find that out. And what we have is now we have Festus. So Festus takes over from Felix. Aren't these great names? And and Festus says, what's this dude doing in my jail? And they said, well, he wants, to be, he wants to be tried before Caesar Augustus. He says he's a Roman citizen and he wants to go to Rome. Now, Paul had another sort of side hustle going on. He wanted to go to preach the gospel in Rome and he wanted to go see uh, the Caesar Augustus. And of course that happens. And he says, I'm willing to go if I have to go in a prison box, which is exactly what happened to him, right? And another story altogether. So what happens is Festus is trying to figure out what to do with this guy. And at the very same time, King Agrippa. King Agrippa was the new king over uh, Judah. Now, in case you're wondering who he is, I know there's a lot of names here. You'll figure this out. He is Herod, Herod the king. It's his grandson. Now, this is years later after Jesus. Herod is long dead. This is his grandson, Agrippa. He is now the new king. And he comes to meet with Festus in Caesarea. So he says, so tell me about this guy you got in your jail. And why is he still there? He says, well, he's still there because he wants to be transferred to Rome. And and we would let him. He says, I would let him go. But because he's insisted on on being tried by the Caesar, then he's stuck here. So Agrippa says, I'd like to talk to this guy. So here's what happens. Fascinating. So Agrippa summons Paul. Paul comes to him and he says, I'm going to let you speak on your own behalf. Why don't you tell me what your deal is? And I'll judge. Now, about this moment is what I find fascinating. I, he could have had a legal argument. There was all kinds of things that he could have done. You know what he did? He gave his testimony. He gave his testimony. So he starts sharing his story. And now he begins by saying a few nice things about the king. Always good to flatter your host. Just a tip there. And so he flatters his host, and then he starts telling the story. He says, so I'm a Jew, and here's where I was born. I became a Pharisee, one of the leaders of the Jews. And then there was this heresy going on. And it was all about how this Jesus was was resurrected from the dead. And we weren't going to have any of that heresy going on. And so he says, I was commissioned to deal with them. And I persecuted the church, and I consented to the death of Christians. So that's how he begins his testimony, talking about all the crummy things he did. But what we're going to do is we're going to pick it up in verse 12, Acts chapter 26, verse 12. I've given you the context. So Paul says this, speaking to King Agrippa. Well, thus occupied, thus occupied with persecuting the church and killing Christians, just in case you're wondering where that came from. Well, thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when all who had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, O Lord, 
sorry, I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both to the things which you have seen and the things which I will reveal yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that you they may receive forgiveness forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow, that is a mouthful. And that is his testimony. And we see him talking about the stuff of what he did and who he was. And then he quickly pivots and he says, this is what happened to me. I had this amazing road to Damascus experience where the light shone as bright as the sun. We all fell down and a voice from heaven came. I mean, it's a great story. And he tells them the story and the ending of the story is I'm here to proclaim the message of Jesus to forgive us our sins and deliver us from Satan to God. It's a powerful message and it's uncompromising, right? And then if you read a little further, and it's really fascinating, you read a little further, and King Agrippa says this, you almost convinced me to become a Christian. He almost convinced him. In five minutes, he tells his story. In five minutes, he gives his testimony, and he says, you almost convinced me to become a Christian. Now, we're not sure what happens of that, but he had him that far in five minutes by simply sharing his story. So I want to talk about your story, and I want to talk about the importance of your story and and why you need to tell your story. So we're going to throw it up on the screen. Here's the three things. Number one, your Jesus is the message. Number two, your example is the medium. And number three, your story is the method. So I don't want you to miss this. Your Jesus is the message. And that's what Paul does. I mean, the whole thing revolves around Jesus. And we have to remember that when we tell our story, Jesus is the hero and is always the hero. I've heard a lot of testimonies. A lot of people tell their story. And I'm telling you, I've heard way way too many of these, and you have too, where they talk for 20 minutes. And they talk about what a horrible, decrepit, and sordid person they were for 20 minutes. And then the end of it is, and then I found Jesus. You know what? It sounds like you're the hero of that story, not Jesus, because you gave Jesus short shrift. And Jesus is the hero. He needs to be the center of the story because it's all about Jesus. He is the message. He is the bait. He is what people are looking for, right? The living Christ. So the first thing is this, is your Jesus is your message. The second thing is your example is your medium. Now, what I mean by this is, our example, our lifestyle, how we live, our conduct, our behavior needs to be congruent with our message. See, here's the problem. Sometimes our example doesn't match up with our message. You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? We're not living up to It's the hard part. Trust me. It's the hard part. And here's how Paul puts it. He says, you are all living epistles known and read by all men. What's an epistle? Who knows? What is it? What's an epistle? An, an epistle. Some people think it's the wife of the apostles. That's not what it is. The, 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 epistle, the epistles is, is, a, is a letter. It's just a letter. And, he, and wrote, Paul wrote these letters, these epistles. And then he says, you are a, an epistle. 
living epistle, known and read by all men, meaning people are reading you. It's not just your message. It's not just what you say. It's what you do. It's your actions, right? Your example. Let me tell you a super embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So Kathy and I, you know, when we first became Christians, we were just married. We both came, became Christians right at the beginning of our marriage. And we were pretty excited Christians. I, I won't lie about this. And, and here's how I'm going to put it. It's a theological term, but I think you'll understand it. We were what they call obnoxious Christians. It's a theological understatement. And so we were just like, well, more me than Kathy. And I was just annoying. I was just always preaching to people all the time, telling them they were going to hell if they didn't accept Jesus, and just going on and on and on. And so what had happened was we bought our first house, and in those days, the possession period was like three months before you got your house. It was ridiculous. So we had nowhere to live, so we moved in with Kathy's parents. They were gracious enough to let us live there. And I was great, ungracious enough to preach the gospel to them at every single meal. And I drove them absolutely nuts. And then one day, Kathy's mother said to her in front of me, but said to her, not to me, Kathy, actions speak louder than words. So she might as well have taken a dagger, set it to Kathy, but d- stuck it in me. And, uh, and I knew right away. So we, we sat down that night, we talked about it, we said, you know what? We've got to stop preaching to your parents. This is not working. They're not liking this. They want to see some action. Well, we'll show them some action. And so, so we started like living out our faith as best we could. And after three months, guess what? They still hadn't accepted Christ. Can you believe it? After three years, they hadn't accepted Christ. After 30 years, they had not accepted Christ. And we rarely spoke to them about it. We rarely preached the gospel to them and shared things unless they asked. And we just lived our life. We were just an example. They actually started to like me eventually. It took you know, 20, 30 years. But we got there. And, uh, and so here's what happened. Kathy's parents both came to Christ. Are you ready for this? On their deathbeds. Both of them. Her mother at 84 years old. Her dad at 99 and a half. 99 and a half years old. We prayed for her dad for 42 years. See, this is not a quick fix. You're probably figuring this out right now, right? And we just prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. And here's, here's the point I don't want you to miss. So we just had to live out our faith for 30, 40 years. And then we had this opportunity right at the very end. I mean, it wasn't too early. Trust me on that. Uh, but we had this opportunity at the very end to share our faith. And guess who led them to Christ? Kathy and I led both of them to Christ. In those last days of their life, we had this opportunity. And so that's why your example is the medium. And the last and the final thing in this is that your story is the method. Now, here's why the story is so important. The human beings are hardwired to listen to stories. Not only are we hardwired to listen to stories, we actually learn from stories. And if you look at human history... It's all about stories. It's all about a narrative. It's all about the myths. And it's all about the legends. And all the religions of humankind from the beginning of time are all based on stories, all based on narratives, every last one of them. And if you look at the ancients, they all have these stories, whether they're written or they're oral, they still have these stories. So the ancient Greeks, you know how this went. They had, they had Zeus and Apollo, and they had um, you know Hermes and Athena and the rest of them. And then you had the, the Romans, and they had a whole different set of stories and a whole different set of gods. And they had Jupiter and Mars and Juno and the rest of them. And then you had the Norse, and the, and the Norse, of course, had Odin and Thor and Loki, and we're most familiar with that because... Of the Avengers. We all know the Avengers, so we know all about that, or at least we think we do. And so when we grew up as kids, 
we learned these stories, fairy tales. And these fairy tales had messages, and we all remember the message, but we only remember the message of those fairy tales because we remember the stories. So you all know the story of the three little pigs, and you all know the story of Little Red Riding Hood, and you all know the story of Hansel and Gretel. We know these stories, and we remember them. But we were taught a bunch of things when we were children that we don't remember today. In high school, they taught you calculus and trigonometry, and none of you today can do it. Not one of you. You know why? No story. There's no story. Where's the story that goes with trigonometry? There isn't one, so you can't remember it. And it is the reason why there's one technical thing we actually can all explain. Every single one of you here would be accurately be able to describe time travel. And you, I say, how, how does time travel work? And you say, well, it's not difficult. You get yourself a stainless steel DeLorean. You mount a flux capacitor on it. You travel exactly 88 miles an hour with a single pulse of 1.21 gigawatts. And poof, you slip through the seam in the space-time continuum. It's that simple. And why do we all know that? Because we've seen the movie, Back to the Future. There's a movie that goes with it. And there's all these other things that you can't explain if your life depended on it to do with time travel, like the theory of general relativity. Can any of you explain that? No. Einstein could barely explain it. Uh, quantum mechanics. Nobody knows this. There's no story that goes with it, so we can't remember it. So these stories are key for us. We don't need a bunch of theological arguments. What we need to do is be able to share our story in a way that is captivating like Paul did. So I want to give you a couple of more things. This is how, I want to give you some tips because some of you think, I don't know how to share my story. Let me tell you how to share your story. Here's the simple, three simple st- steps. Number one, try not to be long and boring. <laughs> and I, I'm not joking about this. You know, shorter and more interesting, please. And you know, people, you enjoy your story, but the people you're telling need to enjoy that story. Don't make it long and boring. Paul's story was short and super interesting. I know he's got a way better testimony than you, but dress yours up a bit. Don't make it too long and boring. You know, I I sent this link to my son the other day. I sent it to him. He sends me back a a message, text message, four letters, T-L-D-R. I had no idea what it meant. I texted him back. I said, what does TLDR mean? He says, too long, didn't read. (laughs) Just keep that in mind when you're telling your story. Too long, didn't read. Too long, didn't listen. Too long, too boring, boring. If people are saying that, you're in trouble. Okay, so, so the, the first thing is try not to be too long and boring. Uh, second thing is try to relate to your audience. See, here's the thing about King Agrippa. He wasn't a Jew, and he wasn't a, uh, a Gentile, or, or a um, Christian, rather. He wasn't a Jew, he wasn't a Christian, yet he understood that because his kingdom ruled over those people. He knew all about this conflict. He knew all about what Paul was talking about. So Paul contextualized the struggle that he lived in, and King Agrippa understood it because he lived in it even though he wasn't one of those players. You get this? So, yeah, it was just yesterday I I, I met a Sikh man, and I started having this conversation with him. I knew he was Sikh because of the beard and the the turban. It wasn't too hard to figure out. And we started having this conversation. 
And so then I always try to relate to my audience when I'm discussing people. So I, I asked him, I said, are you from the Punjab? And he said, yes, he was. And I started to talk about the struggle of the, of the Sikh people for independence in India. And I told him I'd been to India and I knew some places. And, and what I was doing was trying to find those commonalities, those, those things that he would relate to. If I'm going to have a conversation with him, I need to come where he is, not try to bring him where I am. Do you get this? And when you're telling your story, you've got to try to relate to people. Which brings me to my third point here, is this. Look for the connection points. What are the connection points? What are the things that that person can really relate to, that connects directly with them? And so if you're telling your story, don't tell it in such a way that the person has no idea what you're talking about. So I'll give you an example about this. One of the groups of people I love to tell my story to is Catholics. And the reason is I grew up Roman Catholic. And Catholics kind of understand each other. They know the culture. They know what goes on. And so whenever I find out a person is a Catholic, I said, oh, I grew up Catholic. And here's the deal, whether you know it or not. If you're christened as a Catholic, once you're Catholic, you're always a Catholic. I'm still in the club. I'm still in the club. So if they're up for a joke, I tell them, I say, I'm actually a recovering Catholic. <laughs> And then I'll say, you know, I did my first confession at 12 years old, but it took the police two hours to drag it out of me. And, you know, and they get a kick out of that stuff. And here's what I do. I, I never, ever, ever speak ill or criticize Roman Catholicism. And I try to find the connection points and say what's good about it. And then I tell them this, because they say, well, how was it that a Catholic like you became an evangelical pastor? And I'll say, I'll tell you what it was for me. And this might not be your case, but this is what it was for me. I couldn't seem to find a personal relationship with Jesus in that denomination. And the whole idea of going through a mediator or a priest to, to, to get to God just didn't work for me. And when I discovered I could have a personal relationship with the living God, I could have a personal relationship with Jesus, everything changed because that's what I wanted. And you know what? Everybody relates to this. Everybody does, because at the end of the day, that's people people long for, because eternity is in their heart, and they have a God-shaped void, and only Jesus can fill that void. So those are just a few thoughts for you to how to share your story. So I want to tell you a really interesting, give you a really interesting example. I'm going to show you a video in a moment, but I need to set it up. So I have a little bit of a guilty pleasure, and I'm going to admit this to you, which I probably shouldn't, and that's I watch podcasts by Joe Rogan. And some of you might know who Joe Rogan is. You actually do. He was the host of Fear Factor way back in the day. And now he's this podcaster. And I, he's, he's not always a pleasant guy. I, he's a full-blown redneck, let's be honest. He's a full-blown redneck. He swears and curses like a sailor. He smokes cigars, smokes pot, drinks, uh, whatever. That's who he is. But he has some of the most fascinating interviews. And uh, recently, he did an interview with Hulk Hogan. How many of you know who Hulk Hogan is? Yeah, WFF wrestler. I mean, he's my man. He's my boy. I mean, when it comes, it comes to Hulk Hogan. So, so here's, a, here's the, the interview, picture from the interview. So Hulk Hogan shows up. He's wearing that John 316 shirt, big, huge cross around his neck. And, of course, he starts regaling Joe Rogan with stories of his wrestling past. 
Now, he's totally relating to Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan's into mixed martial arts and fighting and wrestling. That's his thing. And they're connecting. And he starts telling these fantastic stories. And Joe Rogan was digging it. And I was digging it because we grew up with Hulk Hogan. We grew up with this guy who was larger than life, literally. And so he told him a whole bunch of stories. He just had him captivated. I'm just going to tell you one because it was my favorite part of the whole show. He tells the story about when Sylvester Stallone phones him up and offers him a role in Rocky III. And he wants to come and fight him in Rocky III. And so he offers him $10,000. He agrees to go and do it for $10,000. And Vince McMahon Sr. fires him from the WWF. He says, I don't care. I'm going to fight Sylvester Stallone. And look at him. He's a monster. He's a foot taller. He's twice as heavy. And my favorite part of the movie is he beats the living crap out of him. And he, and he, he just picks him up over his head and slams him to the ground. I was just tearing it on because I don't like Sylvester Stallone. And I like Hulk Hogan. And I, was cheer- I thought, that's the way they should have played out. He should have beat him up. So he's, he's got him, just like I've got you, because I'm telling you this story of what you're relating to. So he's sitting there the whole time during this interview, an hour and a half. He's sitting there with this John 316 shirt on. And finally he says so. So have you always been religious? You know, he's curious about this. And he says, no, let me tell you the story. And he tells the story about how he grew up as a Southern Baptist and how he got saved at 14 years of age at a youth camp, and how he was part of a Christian rock group in his early days, and then he became a wrestler, and he got pulled away by alcohol and the drugs and the money and the things and the women and the whole thing. So he, he gives this big, long story. And then he, but during this story, he keeps on talking about his faith with Christ. And, and understand, this is not his whole testimony. It's just a little snippet. But I want to show you just 30 seconds of his story and 30 seconds of Joe Rogan's response. So roll tape. I used to brag. I'm the only world's champion that was never divorced. I used to brag about it. Flair's been married 29 times. All my boys have been married 29 times. Everybody's been married 29 times. Right. And all of a sudden, when I went through this divorce and I really bottomed out, you know, it was a tough one. And then my wife split with a younger younger man. It was, uh, it was a little rough on me. And then I started searching. I started searching. But it kind of led me down that path, you know, to start searching and finding what, what worked for me and what mm. I believed in. And ever since then, man, that's been the number one priority. And it kind of locked me in, you know, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what I believe in. And so everything else is a distant second to what happens around me. Yeah, that provides you with a lot of like peace, right? Oh my God, that's you have the no thing idea. that all my friends that are very religious say that it gives them a peace. Yeah, that, that I don't think people have without it, which is interesting. But I do know that a lot of people that I know that are very happy and grounded and centered are also religious. A lot of people. I don't think it's a factor that anyone should discount. He almost convinced him to become a Christian. Wouldn't you agree with that? Like the King Agrippa's words? And he was so unapologetic about it. He says, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and everything else is a distant second. And yeah, is that good? And, uh, and, and so then, and then Joe Rogan gets all pensive and, and all thoughtful and he's thinking about it. He says, all the people I know who are really religious, 
it means something and we should not easily discount this don't you love this story and that's how you share your story So I want to wrap this up with uh, one of my own here, and th- this is literally a blessed story, a B-L-E-S-S story, and understand this, that it happened in one night, which is usually not how it works, but because it did, it'll illustrate m- the whole series, so I'm going to tell a story, but just keep in mind that normally this is the long game we're playing, and it takes months or years or sometimes decades, so, so here's the story. So a friend of ours, he's an American, and he invited us to a 4th of July party in Canada here. And uh, what he did was he invited all his Canadian friends, who are now expatriate Canadians living in the United States, and he invited them to a 4th of July party. And I said, why are you inviting us? He says, well, you've visited Florida close enough. He says, so so he invites us. And so we sit down at, at this table, some of the people I knew and some of them I did not know, but they were all Canadians, like I said, living in the U.S. now, making their living in the U.S. And, and they, I was not eating with tax collectors that day. I was eating with tax evaders. <laughs> it's really what they were. And, they, and these people had gone to the U.S. and they, they, every last one of them were like multi-millionaires. Every last one of them. One guy was telling the story about how he had bought his house for $1.9 million and sold it for 4.2. I don't know how much your house is worth. Mine is not worth 1.9. It's not one point anything, right? And so we're, I'm in this different world with these people. And so, you know, I'm sitting down, we're, we're, we're getting started. And so then the host introduces me as a pastor. And uh, then he asked me to do this. He says, would you say grace before we start? And so I said, grace, here, here's what I want you to miss. I began with prayer. <laughs> Do you, how many see the B? You know where I'm going with this, right? There's the B. So I began with prayer. I said this grace. And then we, then we, in this order, then we ate together. Isn't this great? So far, so good, right? The B and the S. And then what happened was I listened to their conversation. Literally, I was listening. I'll tell you why I had to do more listening. Because my host, for whatever reason, had decided he was going to talk about American politics. And I have a big opinion on American politics, but these guys actually live there, and they were having a very, let's say, animated conversation about it. And you know what I usually do in those conversations? I stay out of it, because you cannot win in that conversation, and I'm a Canadian. Finally, they turned to me, and they said, Mark, what do you think of U.S. politics? I said, well, think of it this way. If Bernie Sanders was a Canadian, he'd be a conservative. That's the only thing I can tell you. Some of you get that, some of you don't. I don't care. So, so we talked about politics, we talked about moral issues, we talked about all the stuff that's going on, the social issues today, it was fascinating, but you know what I did? I mostly just listened. And I thought, you know what, this is their world, and I'm just going to be respectful, and I listened, and I made some comments. And then what happened at the end of the meal is I decided, I took it upon myself, you're not going to believe this, and I cleared the table. I did, I cleared it, I served in love. And I took those plates to the kitchen, you've never seen anything like it. I've never done that before. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. No, I'm not being serious in case you're wondering. So anyway, I got the B, I got the L, I got the E, and, and, I, and I got the S. And like I said, I spent most of the night listening. And then as the night was winding down, uh, and I'd begun to get to know these guys a little bit, one of them who I'd never met before, he says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He says, can you tell me the state of religion in North America today? And I said, thank you for asking. 
And I was able to share my story and share my testimony. And they all sat there and listened because I had listened to them for three hours. And now it was my turn. And what had happened, I didn't realize it until after it happened. I went home and I thought, that is crazy. I just did B-L-E-S-S without even thinking about it. It just happened. It's that simple. And that's why we call it the blessed lifestyle. You can all do it. You all should do it. And following means fishing. So let's get out there and bless the world. All right, let's stand together. And we're going to uh, do something we do every service. And so I thank you for those of you that indulge me for this. And I want to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. Because in a room like this, especially on Thanksgiving, you're going to have people that have not made this decision, do not have a personal relationship with the living God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not asking you, have you been christened as a youth? I'm not asking you, you know, did you go to a church sometime? I'm asking you this. Do you have, have you found that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And do you live in that every day? And is it your number one priority and everything else is a distant second? And if you can't say yes to that, I'm talking to you. And I'm not going to call you forward. No one has to say anything publicly. I'm not going to single you out. Just understand that. And every head is bowed and every eye is closed. But if you would like to today make that decision to be a follower of Jesus, I just want you to slip up your hand right where you are. Right where you are. Thank you. There's hands going up. We're in the room. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Anybody else want to join these folks? Won't call you forward. But I do want you to identify yourself. Thank you. All right, great, fantastic. Lots of hands today. You may put down your hands. So we're all going to say this together with those who raised their hands so as not to single them out. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. I thank you that you took my sins away. I thank you that you rose from the dead. And I thank you that you are forever my Lord. I thank you that old things have passed away. I thank you that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I thank you that I can walk with you. I thank you that I can be a blessing, a B-L-E-S-S, to the world around me. And that that is my duty. And I take it on with great joy. Because everyone needs to know Jesus. Like I know him today. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Let's give Jesus a shout, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.